Ladies and gentlemen, the New York City Ballet Orchestra. Quite something, huh? <laughs> All right, so what was that piece? And who wrote it? French composer Georges Bizet, you guys are geniuses, by the way. And he and his symphony in C are the subjects of tonight's See the Music. For those of you new to this experience, this is where we take you on a brief musical exploration of the ballet you're about to watch. You can imagine my confusion, therefore, when it was pointed out to me before the show that in the program it says that I'm going to be talking about Symphony in C by Igor Stravinsky. Um, <laughs> There is a wonderful piece called Symphony in C by Igor Stravinsky. It doesn't have to be, happen to be one of the 22 Stravinsky pieces in our active repertoire. I think it was done here once decades ago, but we're not quite ready for that one. So if you'll allow, I will go on with Bizet, if that's okay. So, George Bizet sadly falls into the rather large category of one-hit wonders that populate the musical world. In spite of writing a lot of music, only his opera Carmen is world famous. Carmen is now the third most performed opera in the world after Verdi's Aida and Puccini's Bohème, but its premiere was a flop, which so devastated the 36-year-old composer that he literally died of a broken heart. While conjecture might be foolish, had he lived, he undoubtedly would have greatly enriched the world of Verismo opera. Much the same can be said for my hero, George Gershwin, who wrote Porgy and Bess, being currently performed across the plaza, at the same age that Bizet wrote Carmen, but did not live past 37. So who knows the direction American opera might have taken had we not been robbed of his genius. George Bizet was born in 1838 into a musical family. Both his parents taught music, and young Georges quickly grew inspired by his surroundings. As a toddler, he was already quite well-versed on the musical basics. He entered the Paris Conservatory at the age of 10 and soon began to study with the preeminent French composer of the time, Charles Gounod. You know Gounod from his opera Faust, of course. Bizet idolized his teacher. When Gounod wrote his Symphony in D in 1854, the young Bizet was smitten. Under the shadow of the Gounod work, Bizet wrote his own symphony, but in C. It is conceivable that when Bizet presented it as a kind of term paper, just four days after turning 17, he never considered it more than a homework assignment. It resembles the older master's work in many ways and is almost a kind of tribute. It is understandable that Bizet was a bit embarrassed by it. Bizet never acknowledged his symphony in C during his lifetime. It was never mentioned at all, in fact. And it was completely unknown until it was discovered in the archives of the conservatory in 1933 received its world premiere in 1935, 80 years after it was written, and 60 years after the composer's death. It was an immediate success. It has been likened to Mozart and Schubert, both of whom wrote decades earlier, of course, but it, so it is neither radical or revolutionary. What it is, is an amazing utterance by a barely 17-year-old that ranks with Mendelssohn in his Midsummer Night's Dream Overture discussed by me a year and a half ago on this very platform. The melodies are buoyant and beautiful, the structure as classical as you can get, and the result is a thoroughly charming musical work. By the time Georges Balanchine heard the work, it had become quite popular. So in 1947, when he was a guest at the Paris Opera Ballet, he choreographed the work you're about to see. 
He had been in Paris mounting Apollo, Le Baiser de la Fée, and Serenade, and wanted to stage something by a French composer. He originally named the ballet Le Palais du Cristal, but soon changed it to simply Symphony in C. As is befitting a work called Symphony in C, and also to, to differentiate from his teachers, Symphony in D, our 17-year-old begins his piece with a big C major chord. <laughs> Following the protocol set during the previous century of symphonic first movements, Bizet gives us a first theme. Following traditional symphonic practice, we soon hear the second theme, which Bizet sits, sets in the oboe. You'll know when this moment occurs because it's also when the prima ballerina, Ashley Bowder, first appears. Bizet, in the second movement of Symphony in C, writes the most beautiful extended oboe solo that is in every oboe audition around the world because of its fiendish difficulty. But on a good night here, all you'll be doing is watching the ballerina. So here now, that beautiful oboe theme from the second movement.
every young composition student, even today, but certainly in 1855, was under the thrall of Bach and had to know how to write fugues. Fugues, remember, are like elaborate rounds, sort of like row, row, row your boat. Here is another excerpt from the second movement where young Bizet is fulfilling his music theory assignment for the week. Different instruments take turns stating the theme. The third movement, again following classical tradition, is a scherzo and trio, a totally joyous romp. There's always one. Um, <laughs> uh, so the trio, or middle section, is almost rustic, with the lower strings sounding like the drone of a hurdy-gurdy. The fourth movement is a wild romp where Balanchine's use of the composer's repeat affords him the opportunity to reintroduce all the dancers from the previous movements of the symphony. At the end, you have 32 corps de ballet and all the soloists and principals. The stage is literally filled with dancers. And here lies the secret of why I love my job as music director of New York City Ballet so much. This is very nice music, which Balanchine elevates to the point of sublime greatness by creating choreographic wonderment, taking us to another level than the music in this case could ever do. Thank you so much for listening. We will descend from whence we came. Thank you. Vise Symphony and C.